Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. Before we get started, I want to give my usual reminder that you should all become a Digiday Plus member, but I have an extra inducement. Digiday Plus gets you unlimited access to our content, all of our content. Um, we're even working on a member bonus version of this podcast that, that should be next year. Um, we're not quite sure how that will look, but it will happen, I promise you. Um, we also give Digiday Plus members exclusive research and newsletters and a lot more. For a limited time, go to digiday.com slash subscribe and use podcast at checkout and you will get 30% off. That's 30% off. That's podcast at checkout. So try it. This week, I was joined by Josh Stinchcomb, the global CRO at Dow Jones. Josh and I discuss what revenue diversification looks like at Dow Jones with its strong subscription business, how data, events, and content marketing services are core to its model, and we also delve into life after the third-party cookie. Hope you enjoy it. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Good. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. Uh, it has been a while. So explain exactly what's under your remit. Sure. So I oversee advertising and marketing services for our media properties, which are the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Market Watch, Financial News, uh, and Mansion Global. Not the subs business. Not the subs business. Tell me why these are not in opposition, what you're doing and then what what the subscription side is doing. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if the advertising goal was just mass as much scale as possible, then you could see a paywall uh, and, you know, a sort of blocking of access to some of our content as in conflict with the advertising business, but I actually see our business as selling scarcity, selling access to highly engaged professional audiences, uh, and that's exactly what we're building through our membership business. Okay. Advertising business is a little challenged these days? Yeah. I mean, we're a media company. I mean, so the, market, yeah. the market is the, a the little market, challenged. The market's challenging. Um, that said, we have some really uh, interesting bright spots in the ad business. Okay. I um, love the bright spots. Yeah, Give me the bright spots. The bright Give me the start, three start bright with the good spots. stuff. First thing is I think our digital advertising offering is sort of coming into its own. Uh, admittedly, I think the journal and the brands have been a little sleepy on the digital ad front, but the actual sort of underlying resources uh, that we have, the data that we have, uh, is digital advertising gold. And I think this has been the year, this past year, where we've finally put the focus and the investment to create really interesting differentiated digital ad products and we're seeing record growth uh, as a result. So that's, uh, you know, sort of a, a growing up, I think, of the journal. So the digital ad business is growing. Growing. Okay. Absolutely growing. It's not shrinking. It's not shrinking. Okay. The opposite of shrinking. Yes, exactly right. Getting bigger. Um, so that's a, a clear bright spot. Um, and I think there's more upside for us in, in the short term uh, because, again, we're we're scratching the surface of what's possible with the data that we have. Um, you know, we had a one person in ad tech when I started just over a year ago. It's now a sizable team whose entire job it is is to create interesting digital ad products off the back of our first party data. And so what, what's an example of that? So, um, well, in addition to just offering highly accurate audience segments built off our first-party data uh, because of our membership business. Uh, we had a product that we launched this year called Thematic, uh, which was a contextual targeting tool, um, actually built off another product that Dow Jones owns called Factiva. Um, so we've built a patented AI that sits on top of Factiva, which is a product that ingests 
33,000 news sources from around the world, a million articles a day, uh, and this algorithm creates a taxonomy of, of themes and gets sort of smarter and more nuanced every day. And then we apply that taxonomy to every new piece of content that we publish on the journal or Barron's or Market Watch. So we can offer our advertisers the opportunity to be adjacent in real time to incredibly specific themes in terms of content. It's much more sophisticated than keyword targeting, for example. And that's been sort of the the hit of the year in digital advertising. Uh, I think we over-delivered on our expectations by about 3x mm-hmm. in the first year. And, and that's something, obviously, that advertisers can't get from Google and Facebook. Um, I think, you know, there are very few, if any, companies that have the access to this much quality content coming through Factiva uh, and and certainly no one has this exact uh, sort of you know machine learning algorithm. We've patented it, uh, and you know we're finding that it's uh, again not only incredibly sort of popular with with our advertisers, it's performing you know much better than almost any other targeting uh, approach that we take. So on the targeting front, obviously the pendulum swung very hard towards audience targeting. Yeah. Uh, I need to tell you this. Yeah. Uh, and is that I'll, what happened? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. This is a, yeah. you're like, holy yeah. shit, really? Uh, and you know, I think people have been talking about it swinging back to context. I mean, are you actually uh, seeing this in the market? Yeah, is this hopeful. I, 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 no, I, you know, I think it's it's in the interest of publishers that it does. But yeah. I, I think there is some truth in it. Um, you know, number one, audience targeting doesn't take into account in many instances context. Uh, and I think that creates, you know, some of the brand safety issues we've seen, people just chasing audiences, sort of forgetting about anything else. So I think there's a, uh, you know, sort of a, a rationalization uh, around, all right, well, you know, I might be getting a person or thinking I'm getting a person that I want, but where did I find them and what's the context of it? So that that's the first thing. The second and probably bigger uh, change is going to be, you know, the inability to establish identity uh, you know, at scale across the open web, you know, as as we enter a world with fewer cookies and mm-hmm. more restrictions on third-party data. So, you know, people are going to look for, in my mind, sort of one of two things. One, publishers who have significant amounts of first-party data and can establish some kind of identity uh, on their platforms. And, and, and our properties are in the enviable position of having a, a pretty significant sort of logged-in consumption base. We, we have a big digital membership business. We know a lot about the people that are coming to our sites. So from an audience targeting perspective, you know, we're going to become increasingly, uh, I think, in rarefied company uh, in terms of media companies who have first-party data at, at some amount of scale. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, or the other, the other way to kind of address this, this coming cookie apocalypse, as it were, is to look for proxies for audience targeting, which is contextual targeting. Right. Sort of back to where, the, the, I guess, the web started to some degree. And I think contextual targeting tools are becoming more sophisticated, like the one we rolled out. We're not the only ones working on products like this. Uh, so I think you're going to see, again, a focus on publishers who have a lot of first-party data. And I think you're going to see the use of contextual targeting, uh, you know, come sort of back into vogue. Mm-hmm. So who do you yeah. think broadly will be the winners of this this cookie-pocalypse? Um, I'm, I'm shortening it to cookie-pocalypse. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm trying, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to that's, patent that's this. That's better, yeah, cookie-pocalypse, yeah. <laughs> you have your I AI. I can't even say it, yeah. You have your AI. I've got my cookie-pocalypse. Um, but, like, who is, because there's a lot of things going on right now um, to limit the use of third-party cookies, and third-party cookies have been, you know, the workhorse. Right, so the, the digital advertising was built built on the back <laughs> yeah. of it. Um 
well, look, the, the walled gardens and the big platforms, I think... They generally bet, win. They, yeah. they always win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they do well. They've, they've done fine. Um, they, th- this will help them, right? You know, they, they have identity at scale. Yeah. So uh, they're not as dependent, obviously, and in some cases not really at all dependent on third-party data. So this will help them. Um, and you could say, all right, what helps them sort of hurts the rest of the publishing industry. And in aggregate, that may be somewhat true, but... Among the sort of non-walled garden uh, options, I think you will see sort of winners and losers, you know, and and winners will be the ones who do have a lot of valuable first-party data that they can bring to to the parties. And they need some scale. Yeah, and and some scale. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, You know, and and our our brands are are at an all-time high, I'm happy to say, in terms of paying members, but also total digital reach. So, you know, given the audience's we cater to, we've got enough scale uh, on which to apply this targeting to be a really interesting option for reaching sort of the, the business elite. And so, you know, I, I like to think we'll be among the the winners uh, in the sort of non-walled garden world, but it, it is going to come down to sort of a have and a have nots in terms of first-party mm-hmm. data. Yeah. Do you anticipate um, all of the scrutiny on the platforms to actually benefit publishers in in the in the reality of the ad market or is that just something that's going on like you know at, at this really high level yeah no I, I think it already is benefiting us actually uh, you know I can't speak to what their sort of internal motivations are but you know we are seeing better commercial opportunity coming from the platforms uh, than we ever have had uh, and so uh, you know we've we've done a couple of, of big deals this year with platforms. Um, and I think the general environment is one where they are valuing or they are being forced to value sort of quality journalism and recognize they have to pay for it in some way. Uh, so I think the relationship between the platforms and and quality publishers is sort of better today than it's maybe ever been. And that mm-hmm. could be a result of some of the scrutiny on them, They're sort of doing it because they have to. But I, I also think, um, you know, consumers are demanding more of them in terms of of what they read on those platforms and, and wanting to know that there's quality, vetted, factual information on there. Mm-hmm. It seems like Apple is sort of like the favorite platform. Um, yeah, a- Apple is is <laughs> well, Apple's very publisher friendly because they're not super focused on their ad business. No, right? okay, okay. So they they are uh, trying to protect iAd. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, we are partners with Apple News Plus, uh, but that's that's a sort of a nascent advertising platform at, at this point. Uh, but um, yeah, we did a we did a, a, a big deal with Twitter this year. Uh, we produce a daily video show on Twitter called What's Now. Uh, producing 20 plus mm-hmm. videos a day, live streaming all of our events. So how does Twitter. that work? Do, do you sell into that? Do they sell into that or is it both? Yeah, sort of both. It's sort of a coordinated effort. Um, and they're, they're great partners, actually. I, I think you know, Twitter's been a really fantastic partner, both from a, a sort of, you know, content creation support uh, partner, but also in the, on the ad selling side mm-hmm. with, you know, collaborative sales teams and good terms and so that's, we've been really pleased with and that. And Facebook, great partner? Um, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, read into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about how you, you, stitch, um, you stitch the value proposition together. Because, I mean, you're, you're coming to the market with a lot more than just, you know, buy some digital ad space because right. you've got a lot of different um, levers you can bring to bear. Yeah. Talk yeah. about that a little bit. Sure. You know, I think about our role in 
brand's sort of marketing life in the following way. Um, one, I can help them better understand uh, their target audiences, especially when those target audiences are C-suite executives or you know institutional investors or, or individual investors, the, the kinds of, of people that were really effective at, at reaching and understanding. So the, the first piece of it is, is sort of an insider intelligence piece, which is what do these people care about? How are these people spending their time? Uh, what's keeping them up at night? Uh, a lot of which I can uh, infer from what they're doing on my platforms and how they're using my products. Um, so that's the first piece. And I think that's obviously helpful for brands because uh, they're getting into the minds of, of their customers. Uh, the second thing I can do is offer them access to those customers through advertising in a very targeted way, putting them in front of the, the right folks, you know, um, across the different properties, whether that's in print or digital or events, which, which we can get onto in a minute. Uh, but I can also help them create for this audience. Uh, so if I sort of know what is interesting to CFOs, as an example, um, I can also, uh, because of, of uh, the product Factiva, get a sense into how much content sort of exists out there in the world mm -hmm. on, on, a, on any number of topics. I can say, here's some white space, uh, but it's an area of interest, uh, and let us help you, you know, write for or shoot for if it's a video or, you know, uh, program for uh, if it's an event this audience. Uh, and I think we bring a, a philosophy with it, which is the one that the journal and, and the Barron's newsrooms, you know, employ every day, which is we need to add value to these people's lives. We need to help them make important decisions. So they need clear, concise, factual information. It's, it's sort of, you know, somewhere closer to utility than, than sort of general entertainment as it relates to content. I think brands, advertisers, you know, will do well by thinking of themselves as utilities. How do I add value to these people's lives mm -hmm. rather than just sort of, you know, scream about how great my product is? So, um, you know, we're finding that tone and that point of view uh, is, uh, is, you know, increasingly in demand. And so, you know, not with every advertiser are we doing all of those things, but um, we have the capability to, and that's sort of the, the, the way yeah. we think about it. What's the role of the trust in that? That's the sort of rebranded content studio? Yeah, I mean, the trust is in essence, you know, the, the B2B brand or the name of that approach, uh, that we take, uh, that combination of intelligence, creation, and then distribution uh, and account management, uh, you know, for these big custom programs. So um, it's a sort of a B2B facing name for that that capability. And we've got, you know, a, a, a big creative team kind of at the heart of it, editors and, you know, creatives, but we also have a big account management team. And that's actually something that I think a lot of media companies maybe don't invest in as much as they need to. Because mm -hmm. uh, the, these kinds of programs, there's a pain hey, in the explain, ass. Explain yeah, why that. Because I, I think it's sort of you've got sales and they sell the program and you've got a team that can build what you've sold. Uh, but, you know, it's an incredibly complex process to get this stuff up and live and monitor it and make sure it's working. And if there's events involved, you know, you're talking about a whole nother level of sort of interaction and back and forth and detail. And if you don't have a sizable, capable, sort of fit-for-purpose account management function, 
I think the experience of doing these programs can be incredibly onerous for clients. I mean, I right. think that's why you see a lot of sort of low renewal rates and, you know, people sort of promiscuous with the, the, the partners they work with to do custom content because it's a pain in the ass, you right. know, and, and they're, they're stretched for time and, and everything else. And it's not else. the muscle memory of a lot of publishers. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. They're sort of sales organizations, not service organizations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think a big part of the the promise of the trust and as a consequence, a big part of the personnel uh, is, is a, an account management function, which I think is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, more and more important. I want to get to the events, but before that, what is the role print plays then? Um, it, it, it big plays, splash. Yeah. It, I, it, I think it's a great way to, to think of it. You know, is print the way people are going to sort of achieve their reach and frequency goals? Uh, you know, that's not really the way I think people think about it anymore. It's sort of, it's more of an event, like a yeah. moment, you know, it marks a moment. Uh, so I think of, of print as... Some privacy breach, the platform's got to run <laughs> yeah, yeah, page right, print. Yeah, exactly. You call them <laughs> to apologize for something they've done or, no, or, or, or do tell the, the world about the great things they're doing. You can't do that in a banner. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think print is increasingly, um, you know, uh, a marking of a moment. You know, it, it, it creates some tangibility. Um, it... it um, you know, we're, we're actually finding, this is interesting, it used to be sort of the inverse. We run a bunch of print pages and then, oh, and we'll make sort of this little digital extension for you. Now we do big digital programs and print is used as sort of an announcement to say, hey, this is launching mm-hmm. or this just culminated or whatever it is. Um, you know, we also have a lot of uh, success with the special reports we do in the Wall Street Journal, which are sort of weekly and on different themes. Um, and they become sort of events in their own right. Here's the, you know, I'll use a, maybe a clear example, the annual college rankings that the Wall Street Journal does every every year. You know, that's sort of a moment where everyone who cares about that, that's university presidents and policymakers and people in education and prospective students and their parents, all of those things, sort of they're all going to sort of find their way to that report, you know, sort of a moment in time. And so, um, you know, I think it serves that purpose increasingly for for brands. Talk about the events, the yeah. real events, the yeah. events events, um, and the role that they're playing as a sort of a tangible expression of of campaigns. Yeah. Well, interestingly, you know, if, if print print is now sort of an event, I think events are also kind of serving the purpose that print once did, which is to make our brand sort of resonant and tangible, uh, you know, in places where maybe people aren't seeing it as often on newsstands, which, which don't exist. But the event business itself for us is... Uh, Meaningful. It's already a big part of our ad business, um, and it's growing quickly. So, um, and it's part of the ad business. It's yeah, not well, a separate it, thing. No, it's it's uh, well, it's interesting. It's it's sort of uh, there's a dedicated uh, lot what we call live journalism team. That's how we kind of refer to our events, uh, in part because they're all on the record, and our newsroom sees them as as another form of journalism or another format for journalism. Um, it's it is a team that actually dual reports into the ad side and into the membership side because um, it, it, it again it sort of takes those things coming together to make them successful. So the business of our events is a combination of ticket sales, uh, which is sort of a membership function, and then sponsorship, which is the bigger part of it, which is obviously a, a part of the ad sales universe. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a meaningfully sized business already, uh, and it's growing quickly for us. Um, it's also one of the ways in which we 
bring something to our subscribers that makes that subscription feel more like a membership. Uh, because part of being a member mm-hmm. of the Wall Street Journal is access to these events. So it's, you know, very closely tied in, in how we market it uh, and how we think about, you know, adding value to our paying members. Um, and on the sponsorship side, it's uh, it's still growing uh, quite a bit. And I think we're getting better, too. It's a, it's a hard sort of business to scale, right? Because it's sort of labor yeah. intensive and, um, you know, to, to some degree, you know, it takes time over years to build kind of equity around a given event. But we're sort of innovating with format, and I think, in a way that's that's helped, uh, you know, grow an already pretty big business. So f- this past year, we came up with a concept called Journal House, which is this idea of building a sort of pretty sizable physical space and kind of plopping it in the middle of where a lot of our members and, and sponsors already are. So, for example... We did the first one in Davos, mm-hmm. you know, which is where sort of all of our CEO readers already are. We did it again in Cannes. You and I met. I was in there. Can. Yeah, yep. that was sort of. Journal- I was joking with you that that if it um, if it collapsed, I, I as I was walking up there, I was thinking if it collapses, I will have like my metaphor for like you know a great. Just, yeah, that that that, uh, <laughs> that that would have been convenient for you. <laughs> it did. It was very. Yeah, it, it was, was very sturdy. sturdy. Yeah, it was exactly. very sturdy. In fact, so it was no, actually and, and an opposite. You, and if you ever, if you, if you so there's a time lapse video of it, like it did not exist. It was there for four days, and then it was gone. Well, that's why I knew it. And I yeah. was like, I was like, do I know what I'm getting myself no, into? It, it, because it, like, like, know, I would just live I would have lived in there. That was built like just for a week. Yeah, but but built very well. Yeah. So, but. You know, we just did a third one actually in Singapore just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, again, the, the the beauty of that concept. But this it, is not scalable. This this buy this building all these houses for a week. Well, but 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 it, it, what it does allow for is over the course of you know four days uh, programming throughout you know the entire time we can bring in dozens of sponsors. Uh, you know, into the sort of this single moment, if you will. Uh, so in terms of the yield or the return on this quote unquote event, it's so much greater than what we could do with like a two day conference or something where you've got three or four sponsors. It's just only so much sort of real estate and time to to do something unique for each of them. So um, it's been an accelerator of our of our event business. Not the entirety of our event business, but it's a good innovation. Yeah. So where does video fit into all this? I mean, we see people making gigantic bets in, in video still. Um, you know, the pivot to video is over, I guess. Um, but where does it fit into we're, we're the We're all about plans? podcasting. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> no video... We talk podcasting. <laughs> Actually, podcasting has been uh, an area of, 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 of growth for us. Um, Depends on the base. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, v- video is not a huge business at the Journal. You know, it's not our, our sort of native language, as it were. Um, you know, we've we've got a bigger editorial video team than we ever have had, and they're making more video. Uh, but it's not like you're seeing at some other publishes where they're sort of going all in on video. You know, the Twitter deal, I think, is a great example of us recognizing that, um, you know, if we want to make some meaningful steps into a new format like video, potentially doing it through a partnership is a good way to do it because um, they bring expertise, they bring, um, you know, resources, and then they bring massive distribution to sort of make it work economically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this Twitter video deal that we announced this year, you know, will double our video business, um, you know, and, and, and I think also then just create sort of more energy around video and, and, and hopefully something we build on, but you know, it has not been one of our strategic imperatives necessarily. Are you, is the journal more 
partnership um, oriented than it has been in. You mean in terms of partnering with? Yeah, with different platforms. I mean, I just it, it seems like there's there's more, but maybe it just. Uh, no, I, th- I think that's true for sure. I mean, the, again, there were these three big uh, partnerships announced this year, uh, which was I think you know three more than were announced the year before. <laughs> that's right. <So, laughs> that those it's, are my it's metrics. It's just growing by infinity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, yes, I think I think there's a combination of things. I think it's a recognition of of what we are great at and can do on our own, and then looking for partners who bring um, expertise either in reaching a, a new audience that we can introduce our brand to, or a format expertise as our, our partnership with Gimlet and Spotify does for for audio. Um, and like I said before, I think uh, the platforms anyway, and that's not the extent of of the universe of potential partners, but I think they are bringing opportunities that are more commercially interesting than we've seen before. Uh, final topic is around brand safety. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, it's, it's an issue that marketers love to talk about. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, they've got these keyword block lists that end up like um, scooping up lots of news publishers. Yeah. To, much, to, much to their consternation. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, you know, the the sort of concern around news environments as it relates to brand safety is obviously, uh, you know, something that creates jeopardy for my business. Uh, but I also think it creates jeopardy for quality journalism, which creates jeopardy for society. So this is a sort of big topic that I think needs to be sort of addressed thoughtfully and, and collaboratively. And, you know, I, I am finding the sort of other players in the space, the advertisers and the agencies, you know, recognizing that, uh, you know, there's hopefully a way to do this more elegantly or or in a more nuanced way so uh, they can support quality, trusted, fact-based journalism that's not only good for the world but good for their brand, but also avoid the, you know, the sort of disastrous adjacency. And I think the the current approach, as you mentioned, of these exhaustive blacklisted keywords, it's it's a fairly blunt instrument, right? It's sort of, it's it's looking to mitigate, you know, risk across the whole open web. Um, and I think that, you know, particularly hurts, again, quality publishers with fact-based journalism, with audiences that trust that journalism, um, you know, and, and what you're going to end up with is brands sort of trying to be brand safe, but just in the end are like brand boring because they're going <laughs> to basically be against this sort of vanilla, you know, lifestyle content that couldn't right. possibly address even, you know, the, the, the edge of a topic that might be controversial. Uh, you know, I don't think that's good for them either. So, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of work just in terms of uh, research even. We just uh, did a big study with Havas, the agency Havas, uh, mm-hmm. that's, I think, just been released uh, where we look at uh, sort of trust in news and the degree to which it conveys to advertiser and that kind of stuff. But then also, you know, the tools like Thematic that I mentioned, that contextual targeting tool is maybe another way to parse news mm-hmm. environments uh, that is, you know, more effective ultimately than just blocking a story outright because it happens to mention the word privacy or politics or whatever it is. Um, impeachment is coming. I yeah. just I walk by the uh, I walk by the TVs here and I, I see the, the latest. You've news. heard about that. It's yeah. clearly yeah, coming yeah. and it's gonna it's gonna occupy at least through the end of of, of the year. Um, do you expect advertisers to say just just stop stop because it's gonna be Q four. And that's that's sort of dangerous. Um, you mean sort of like stop advertising during this period, or just keep me away from impeachment? There's yeah. just too many passions. This is going to make 
the 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 Kavanaugh hearings look like uh, patty. What is it? It's pat a cake, not yeah. patty cake. Oh, is that right? Pat yeah. a, a pat a cake. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I think this is going to create a lot of content uh, that is probably going to be avoided by advertisers. I think that's right. Uh, on the flip side, I think it will bring a lot of people generally to news, and they'll consume other things, and that might create sort of you know. Uh, more opportunity for us in in other ways. I mean, the journal uh, is, I think, a wonderful paper as it relates to covering politics and and sort of world news, but it has a whole other side to it, which is a more sort of B2B vertical side. It's not sort of general news. And so um, a lot of what we do, and certainly in the case of Barron's and MarketWatch, the entirety of what they do, uh, you know, is, is sort of not you know, quote unquote politics. So I think, you know, as more people come into our platforms um, and in part to read maybe about what's going on in politics, they're going to read finance information and business information and that creates opportunity. But yeah, it's going to get, uh, it's going to get weird out there. All right. On that note, Josh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Pierre Bienname who produced this podcast and took out a lot of the ums. And finally, thanks to everyone who tweeted us feedback to our episode with the athletics Adam Hansman. Adam Dvorin, for example, tweeted great learning about your loyalty to the Eagles during your interview with Adam. As a Birds with Friends fan, it was great to hear him shout out Bo Wolf and Shilkapadia. I'm a Philly Daily News loyalist, but get my money's worth from the Athletic Philadelphia too. Thank you, Adam, for listening and enjoying the podcast. If you also listen, which you clearly do because you're here, and you want to leave us a review, please do. Leave us a review at wherever you get the podcast. Um, apparently helps us be discovered. Be back next week.